Welcome to Catch the Fire Toronto's weekly sermon podcast. This message was recorded live at Catch the Fire Church in Toronto, Canada. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks, Ash. Hi, everybody. Good to see you all. Good afternoon. Alrighty, so this is a fun time of year for us. This is um, time of year where we, you know, we look, like to look and ask the Holy Spirit what he wants us to focus on, what our theme is for the next year, so the next 12 months from now, and, um, and really sort of put an overarching framework of this, you know, what he wants us to, to focus on, what he wants to do amongst us, what he wants to say, and, um, and, and you know, how he wants to move. And so today I'm going to sort of do part one of a two-part message. I'll be back next week sharing part two, really uh, looking at what is our theme for the year, what we feel the Holy Spirit is saying. Uh, and then as we get into the, the year, we'll unpack the different dimensions and different aspects of it. Um, but, our, you know, our conference this, this year with uh, Robbie Dawkins, we had an amazing time. We, we called that conference Come Up Here. And, um, and as we've been praying and, and thinking about and believing, you know, just hearing the Holy Spirit about it, we felt like that was a great theme to continue into the, into the new, uh, this next year. So our new theme for the year is come up here. And um, it's really as, as the Holy Spirit's been speaking to us, we've been feeling a strong sense of stirring of two dimensions. One is the glory of God and his majesty and his goodness. And then the second one is the kingdom and receiving the kingdom. And prophetically, Mark DuPont, one of our uh, prophetic friends, uh, who's here in July, he gave us a prophetic word, a simple word from um, Luke chapter 12, I think verse 32, which is, fear not little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so we're going to be talking about um, that the kingdom of God, God's invitation uh, to come and receive his glory, to come up here. You know, I don't know about you, but I feel my desire is that there is more that God has for us. Yeah? There's always more. He takes us from glory to glory. He takes us beyond where we are. And ultimately, his, the ultimate glory is going to be with him forever in heaven, enjoying his presence. But he's, he's put his glory in us, and he's calling us to, to more and more. We know that from things like Jesus saying, you know, in, in John 14, you know, if you, if you believe in me, you're going to do the works that I do. And, uh, and then even greater works. And we're still grasping for the works that Jesus did, but there's even more to come. And, uh, you know, Paul says in, in uh, Philippians, you know, press on for more, press on for more. And so that's what we're feeling like this year as, as we're believing God for the transformation of our cities. It's really what we're looking for, right? It's not just a nice time to come and enjoy being family together, although that's wonderful, and to experience God and worship together. But the ultimate aim that, God's, that God has is that the whole earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk 2.14. And that this city, this our cities and our nation, and then the nations of the world would be transformed as they experience God's love. And so as we're beginning to feel like there's more that God has for us, he's speaking to us about preparing for the glory and coming up here into his presence and into his, his, um, you know, into his life. You know, there's always... Um, three journeys in our lives. 
You know, John Arnott, the founding pastor of this church, him and Carol, you know, talked a lot about the three journeys. The first journey is the upward journey of us worshiping God and coming into God's presence. The second journey is the inward journey of how God wants to transform our hearts. And the third journey is the outward journey to, to those around us. And so, you know, the come up here, we've got the dimensions as we unpack this come up here theme, we've got those three dimensions. The come up here into God's presence, the come up here into the Father's purpose and his holy living for us, and then come up here into his love and his heart for the world. So I wanted to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to look at uh, verses 1 to 9. I'm reading from the uh, ESV. I don't know if we'll have it up on the up on the screen or not, but... If you, um, if you don't bring your Bibles, I know we, you know, I want to encourage you, bring your Bible. It's a good thing to read. So Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 9. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, the, the burning ones. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the thresholds of the temple that is shook and the voice of him who called, uh, at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of an People of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go. And say to this people, and then he gives them the message. This is the word of the Lord. And I hope you, I don't know if you noticed there, the three journeys, the three encounters. The, you know, Isaiah has this uh, encounter with God where he's allowed to come up here into the throne room and experience God. And he comes up here as he, as he sees God, he sees the majesty and the glory of God. So the first dimension of come up here is to come up here into the, into the glory of God and then the perspective of God. And I'm going to take time today to share about that part. The second and the third we'll do next week. The second one is to come up here into God's standard. You know, when, when Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord, he suddenly realizes that his life is short, uh, fallen short of where God's called him to be. He's not living the life of holiness and purity that God's called him to. And so the, the invitation to come up here is to say, you know, the, he says, I'm woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And what the Lord does is he purifies him. So the come up here is to a life of purity. And then the third thing, the third dimension is, as he's then been touched, he opens, the, 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 his, his uh, ears get open and he hears the voice of the Lord and he catches the heart of the Father. And the voice of the Lord is this, Whom I, who's gonna send, who shall I send and who's gonna go for us? So come up here into the Father's love. Come up here into the mission of God. Come up here into his heartbeat and then respond in, in, in mission and calling. 
So we're going to look at those two next week that come up here to purity and come up here to mission and calling next week. But for today, I want us to look at come up here into the glory and come up here into, the, into God's perspective. And so the, the, Isaiah has this vision and it says that in the year that King Uzziah died, a little bit of background, you can read about King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26. But King Uzziah was a, a king that he reigned in, his, in Judah for 52 years. And it, when he started off, he was a really good king. In fact, um, he, he pursued the Lord. He, was, he, he did all the right things. He trusted in his God. And the Lord gave him favor and blessing to such an extent that, is, that Judah in, encountered uh, an increase in their borders, in, encountered pos- prosperity, encountered peace. It was a wonderful time. But somewhere along the line, Uzziah got proud. And he did something that wasn't lawful for him to do. You know, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, um, Jesus, uh, the Father had said to, through Moses that only priests are allowed to offer sacrifices. But Uzziah, as the king, he decided that he was good enough and he would go in his pride and he would go and, uh, and offer sacrifices. And of course, the Lord wasn't happy about that. And he, uh, he, came, he got leprosy and ended up having to live as a recluse for all of his life. So the first rest of his life, and in fact, his king, his son reigned over, over the people as king. So it was like, in a sense, the best of humanity and the worst of humanity. Great peace and blessing that came, but also this turmoil and, and pride and arrogance. And, and actually, it says that even though he was a good king, the people just did whatever they wanted to anyway. And so it's in this context of the king dying 52 years of good and bad reign. It's in this context where the king dies that that Isaiah has this encounter with God where he's caught up into the heavenlies and what he sees is the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train or the hem of his robe filled the temple. So the, the ancient Israelites, they believed as, you know, that, as we do, that God, his throne was in heaven and that he, he, you know, he was seated above all things, but they believed that the temple and specifically the Holy of Holies and specifically the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the Holy of Holies, was the footstool of God. And so Isaiah sees this picture, this vision of the Lord high and lifted up. He sees him in his glory and the very, just, just the train, just the hem of his robe filling the temple and causing the whole of the temple to shake and it to be filled with smoke. He sees the glory of God and he's undone. He sees the glory of God and he's invited into a different perspective he sees the glory of God and instead of, you know, b- being aware of Uzziah dying, he's now coming into, oh yeah, you're still seated upon the throne. You're still over all things. You're still the God of glory and majesty. And we just feel this call that the Father keeps inviting us into is to keep our eyes fixed upon him and to remind ourselves who he is and who we are in him. And so he sees the greatness of God. He's sitting on a throne. He's sitting. He's not standing. He's not having to act. He's just sitting, ruling over all things. He's sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and we see the supremacy and the majesty of God. Don't you want to have a vision of that? Don't you want to get stirred with this vision of the glory of God? Don't you want to encounter the glory of God? I know I do. I want to see him and experience him. And in not just like an ethereal way, sometimes when we think about the glory of God, we think about, you know, a glory 
you know, we've heard stories of a cloud or feathers or dust or something that like marks of God's glory. But more than just those marks, it's the very weight of his presence himself. Where he wants, where he's going to come upon us in his, the weight of his glory. The gl- word glory actually means weight. It's like, it's so thick in his presence that you can't stand up. It's just the weight of the, of the magnificence of who he is. And we want to see that glory, don't we? We want to see him for who he really is. Because when we see him for who he really is, we see ourselves and we see the world rightly. And so Isaiah has this, this, this vision of God. And, and what he realizes is that, which is the same for us as for him, is that we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for God. The purpose of this church, the purpose of your life is not for you to exist for yourself. It's not for you to enjoy just a nice little time and doing your own thing. We exist for the glory of God. We exist for the purpose of God. We exist to give him all the honor and the praise that's due his name, right? And so we've got to get our perspective right. We'll get our perspective right that we exist not for ourselves, but for God. And then in that place, because we don't live for ourselves, but we live for him, we give him glory. We give him glory. He's the glorious one. We come here, we gather here to give him glory. We gather in our homes, in our connect groups. Why? To give him glory. We gather in on the streets and, and you know, do uh, witness and, 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 and love on people in the streets and in our neighborhoods and, and all of that. Why? To give him glory. We're not about making glory for ourselves. We give him glory. He's jealous for his own glory. But the wonderful and mind-boggling thing is he allows us to experience his glory and then carry his glory with him. You know, Moses, when he's with the people of Israel, uh, ancient Israelites in, in Exodus chapter 33, and God's like so frustrated with the people of Israel that he says, I'm not coming with you. I'm going to send my angel. And, and Moses is like, no, 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 time out. I, if, if you don't come with me, then there's no point in going. I, in fact, please, will you show me your glory? And so in Exodus 33 and 34, there's this story of how God says to, to Moses, yeah, okay, I'll show you my glory. And he puts him in the, in the rock and he puts his hand over him. And then it says, I will cause all of my goodness to pass by. Moses asks to see his glory and what God reveals is his goodness. Do you know that his glory is his goodness? And so what does he say about himself? God says, I am the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, abounding in steadfast covenantal love, in loyal love. I keep my covenant of love with you for a thousand generations. His glory is his goodness. His glory is his grace. His glory is his kindness, his compassion and his holiness. And so here we see that we get a glimpse into heaven. And this is another reason why for us, you know, understanding who we are and understanding who God is, is so important because we then align ourselves with the reality of what's going on in heaven. And what's going on in heaven is worship. It's these seraphim, the burning ones, six wings, two covering their eyes, two covering their feet, two flying over the throne, just saying, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that word holy actually means in the Hebrew, it means to set apart, to be completely different, not like anyone else. 
and God himself is holy. In other words, he's the only uncreated one. Everything else has been created by him, but he is the one who stands apart and alone, and he is unlike anybody else. He is pure and holy in love and pure and holy in his attitudes and his behaviors and who he is. He's the God of glory. He's the holy one. And and this seraphim, they're looking at it, and they actually can't even experience the glory of God. It's too much. So they cover their eyes so that they don't see. And perhaps they peek and then they go, whoa, holy. And they're covering their feet because even though they're there to serve the Lord, they're there in humility. So they cover their feet to show, you know, just to hide away. But they're, and then they're with their wings and they're serving the Lord. And they're, they're crying out, holy, holy. And the whole temple's reverberating with worship. God is glorious. He's worthy to be praised. When we worship him, we join in with the heavens worship. We join in with all that's going on. And he's so beautiful and so glorious. And so the invitation for us is to come up here, is to come up and experience that glory. And again, we're not just talking about something ethereal. We're talking about the actual tangible weight of his presence. We're actually talking about the glory of God. You know, when God shows up, you know. When God shows up, there's miracles. There's signs and wonders. There's, there's prophecy. There's, there's words of knowledge. There's wisdom. There's, there's all the, the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit that show up when God shows up, Right? And then, but we're not just talking about the Father, we're also talking about Jesus because the Bible says in uh, Hebrews chapter 1 that, that, that Jesus himself is the exact representation and the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus himself is the refracted light of God. If we want to look at what the glory of God is like, we look at Jesus and we experience Jesus and we experience the glory of him. And so it's... it's, it's This theme of come up here is to see God for who he is, to see the magnificence and the worth of God and the magnificence and the worth of Jesus. And then just like the angel, the seraphim, just to throw ourselves down upon his feet and just say, you are worthy, you are holy, you are glorious, you are beautiful, you are magnificent. As a people, we're first called to worship, right? In fact, the Westminster Catechism was that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We're called to worship. Actually, what we're called to be, first and foremost, is a house of devotion, of a house of surrender, a house where we are so full of worship towards God. And Because really, the only appropriate response to his holiness and his purity is worship. It's to be caught up in his glory And here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. is while Isaiah sees the Lord in a physical temple situated in Jerusalem that now no longer, that that temple got destroyed and then they built another one and then that temple got destroyed. So there's no longer a physical place where where the, um, the glory of God is residing. Actually, the glory of God moved from a temple to a person and that person was Jesus. Jesus himself is the temple in the new new covenant. Jesus himself is the place of glory, is where we experience that place of, of the glory and the majesty of God as we experience that in Jesus Christ. He is the true temple. He's the true representation of that glory. And so Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, but we get to experience Jesus as the temple 
And here's the beautiful thing, because the temple is a person, it's not limited, he's not limited to a building. We're not limited to experiencing glory here and only here. We get to experience him everywhere we are, because we ourselves individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit because he's dwelling on the inside of us. But we corporately together are also the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, where the temple is, the glory of God resides. And so you and I, we carry the glory of God. We've been lifted up into the glory of God in Christ Jesus, and we get to experience him. And so I know, you know, and then, you know, biblically, we know that worship is much more than singing. It's not just about singing songs. I mean, I love gathering together and singing songs to Jesus and to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. But worship is actually, biblically speaking, a life laid down. It's a, it's a, a wholly, wholly devoted life to the Lord. It's every aspect of our lives, every dimension. And so the call into come up here is to come up into a place of surrender, of devotion, of wholehearted worship to him. And after this introduction, we're going to spend a few weeks just looking at worship and who God's called us to be. But just while we're here in this moment, what is your response to God? What is your response to gathering corporately together to sing and to worship, to express ourselves? Are we meeting just because it's the thing that we do and I'll do it if I like the worship song, but if I don't really like the worship song, then I'm just going to sit around and I'm not going to do anything? Or... Are we going to sing and make melody and worship him because the Bible says sing to him a new song? Are we going to do that because we see his glory and his majesty? What does it look like for you? What does it look like to lay your life down to serve him? What does it look like for you to worship him because he's worthy? Is your heart stirred when you see his glory to worship and to give your whole heart and be wholly devoted to him? What's your response? Because when we see God and when we worship him, we actually begin to see ourselves and we begin to see the world in a different perspective. And so, you know, as I was, as I preached this message, the first service and second, after the first service, somebody came up to me and they said they'd had a vision this morning of the fire of God falling. Actually, it was on hope as she was leading and the fire of God falling and then the fire of God falling upon all of us, and that glory of God coming. You know, that God wants to meet us in his glory, transform us in his glory, and then send us in his glory to reach the world, that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. So our, our heart, our desire, the posture is worship to him. How does that look like for you? How are you doing with laying your life down? How are you doing with not just going with what feels comfortable, but being uncomfortable in your surrender? Oh, that the Lord would help us with that. So Isaiah, the first call for Isaiah is to come up here and to experience God and to experience worship. But as he does so, the second part of that is he gets a different perspective. And that's what happens when you are in God's presence, right? Right? we get a different perspective. And so I want us to look at Revelation, the book of Revelation at the very end of the Bible, chapter four. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Um, I 
So these verses, I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2, but let me give you a bit of context. So this is the Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples, who was the one that laid his you know, head against Jesus' chest. He's the one that describes himself as the one that Jesus loved. And he is on this island and he has this incredible series of visions. He's just had some visions where he's been given some words for the churches, the seven churches of Asia. And then he gets this encounter in chapter 4, which is pretty similar to what Isaiah sees. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, which is Jesus' voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. The invitation for John was to come up here. So even though John is full of the Spirit, even though he is now one with Christ Jesus, because it's, you know, he's accepted Jesus, he's, he, he's, he understands that he's with God, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, he still has this encounter of the, the, that God has for him that brings a shift in his perspective. And the Father wants for all of us to continue to grow in our experience and our understanding of who God is, no matter how long we've known him for. At this point, John's probably about 90 years old, and he's probably known Jesus for at least 70 of those years. And so John gets called up, but look what, what is that happens. He says, I'm going to come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. In other words, let me show you something that's going to shift your perspective. You're going to see, if you look on an earth realm, you're going to see one thing, but I'm going to bring you up here. I'm going to shift your perspective, eyes up on me, and then you're going to see something totally different. And what, what we don't have time to go into the rest of the revelation, but what God shows him through all of them, the next series of visions is this that the future is glorious and the future is challenging. The future is glorious, yay! The future is, oh. But the good news is that the, the glorious future is eternal. The challenging future is just temporal. And so he gets caught up into, these, into this throne room encounter and his experiences and what he sees is that the church is called to be a witness to the truth the church is called to stand in, to having experienced the glory of God, being filled with the glory of God, to stand and declare, this is who God is, and this is his truth. And in doing that, what's going to happen, the result is going to be that the Spirit is going to move so powerfully that all the kingdoms of this world will, will become the kingdoms of our God and King. And that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. But what, that, what will come with that will be the conflict of good and evil. There'll be a conflict where there's, God prevails against the enemy because there's a beast and a devil. And a, uh, well, there's a devil, there's a beast, and then there's a, the Antichrist spirit that's coming. There's, in other words, there's conflict that's coming that's going to actually cause persecution and trial and setback and difficulty. Because when the light comes on, when the glory gets turned up, the, the, there's, a, there's a greater push and a, you know, the enemy wants to stop what God is doing. So there's this greater potential, greater levels of trial and difficulty, but God wins. And so we win. And there's moments where they measure, you know, there's angels that are measuring out the, 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 the church and the temple of God. And that measuring is that God is saying, these guys are mine and you're with me and I'm going to be with you forever. 
you're going to win. You might experience difficulty. You might experience setback. You might experience hardship. But I've got good news for you. Come up here into a different perspective. Come up here into the winning perspective. Come up here to experience that you will break through because I have broken through. But unfortunately, what it also shows us is that the victory comes in the same way that Jesus got his victory. And Jesus got his victory in a moment of weakness, of pain, of persecution, of trial. He went to the cross. He endured it all for us so that we could come up into his perspective. He endured it all. And just in the same way, we may experience challenge and difficulty, but victory will come. Come up here into God's perspective. Come up here to this place where God is with us. Fix your eyes upon the things that are above, not on earthly things, what Paul says. Set your mind up there. Colossians chapter three, it says, fix your, set your mind on the things above because that's where you live. He says, your life is now hidden with Christ. Where? In God. And when that's where you are. And when Christ is, when he appears, you will appear in glory because we'll be glorified in him. And so the Bible teaches us this, that the kingdom of God, that God has broken in the age that's to come, the age of heaven, the age of uh, no tears and no sickness and no shame and no sin and no, no, no disease. That age when Jesus came as the new temple and the, the, you know, created a new humanity, that's the, then the spirit fell, that the new, that which is a reserve for eternity has now breaking into the now that the kingdom of God is here and we've been lifted up and we're seated with him in the heavenly places and so therefore we're to live from heaven to earth, not from earth to heaven. And that looks like prayer. You know, our prayer life is not, oh Lord, please, somewhere up there, could you sort this out? Could you help me? But you are already seated in heaven. So make a declaration, make a decree, stand in faith like we did this morning to say shift because we live in the heavenly realms. And so we're to come up here to God's perspective, to the kingdom perspective, to experience the one who was, that we're singing about this this morning, the one who was in our past, the one who is in our present, the one who will be forever in our future. He's the creator of all things. He's the Lord of all the universe. He's not just a little pocket God that we've got somehow tucked away and he's not sure whether he's going to win or not. No, <laughs> he's the God of glory. In his presence, the Bible says, mountains run away. The earth melts because of his glory. And he's our father. And he's the one that we get to experience. And so his invitation is to come up here and experience his glory. Come up here and be protected in him. Come up here and experience his perspective. Come up here and live a life that he's he's purposed and planned for you and I that we could only ever dream of. And so you could put it another way like this. He says, we want you, and the Father's desire for each of us is that we encounter him and that we know him. And his desire is that in, in encountering him, we get transformed and we become more and more like him. And as we encounter him and we come up into his perspective, we get to realize that he has a purpose and a plan and a destiny and a calling for you and I to fulfill. 
As we step into that destiny and that calling, what we realize is that that's out into the world and his command is to go and say, go and multiply, go and make disciples of all the nations. And so we're called up. And so we're going to spend some time over this year just unpacking what does it look like because we're believing God for this, that there's more glory to experience. And it's about our perspective. It's about understanding who we are in him, who he is for us and who we are in him. I want to invite you to stand if you would, please. And I want to invite you to just pray a very simple and very dangerous prayer. Is Lord, show me your glory. Lord, reveal your glory to me. Would you meet me in your glory and send me with your glory? Send me with your glory. I just take a moment, just, just to let's worship him for a little minute, just to say, Lord, we thank you. I want to encourage you, lift up your own voices in adoration and praise. Lift up your own voices for all the things that he's done. Lift up your voice for, in worship just to declare how good and how beautiful and how magnificent he is and how wonderful he is and how kind and how generous and how loving and how, and how magnificent and beautiful and awe-inspiring and, and fabulous and stupendous and glorious you are, Lord. We worship you. And we honor you. We give you praise and we give you thanks. We give you honor and glory. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name and we give you glory. Lord, we're not looking to keep this glory for ourselves. We're not looking to make a name for ourselves. We're not looking to just have to be somebody, Lord. We're looking to see you glorified and your name glorified in all the earth. Give him glory. We give you glory. We give you glory. We give you glory. Father, you are our delight. Jesus, you're our pearl of great price. You're our treasure. You're our exceedingly great reward. And we exalt you. Just ask the Lord to shift your perspective. Help, just ask him, would you help me to live from heaven to earth? Teach me what it looks like to live from heaven to earth and to come above my circumstances and come above the difficulties and the trials and the setbacks and come above the problems of the world, come above politics, come above finances, come above relationship breakdowns, come above difficulties and to come into the realm of heaven where we have a Father who working all things for our good. And even though Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, he said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. So we bless you, Jesus, as the one who's overcome. We hope you encounter God and were inspired by this message today. To watch video of this message and other messages from Catch the Fire in Toronto, visit catchthefire.tv. Catch the Fire has churches, schools, events, missions and media all around the world. To find out more, visit catchthefire.com.